The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Father, we need you tonight. Thank you for lifting us up out of the miry clay time and again. We pray that you would do it again tonight, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Put a new song in our mouth, a hymn of praise to you, our God, so that we can delight in you and rejoice in you and rest in you. Pray this all in the name of your Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good evening. It's great to see you. It is the second Sunday after Epiphany. Even though we celebrated Epiphany last week, it's a technicality. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So everything that we do from now until the season of Lent starts is around and oriented around the revealing of Jesus. You heard St. Paul strike a chord about the revelation of Jesus, that Jesus had been revealed to these people in this horrible, godless town, Corinth, in the middle of Achaia. So we heard that chord struck, and we hear about John the Baptist saying, Behold, look, he is revealed, this man Jesus, also my cousin, John the Baptist, it maybe has in his mind, this man Jesus is the Lamb of God. And he's not just a pretty little lamb that sits in the barnyard and the lamb says, Mah, but he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And the reading from Exodus gives us an orientation around what the lamb of God does, around what the Passover lamb does. The Passover lamb dies. The Passover lamb sheds blood and that blood averts destruction But we'll get to that in a moment. There are all sorts of directions we could go tonight, but I want to keep this direction around the revelation of God, around God revealing himself not only to us, but to all peoples all over the earth as he desires to draw men and women, children to himself. 
And I want to remind you about what our vision is here at St. Bart's. Well, over a year ago, we put together a vision team who would say, hey, these are the things that we actually value, not the things that we aspire to value. And here is our vision. This is what we feel like God has put us here on earth to to be. And Chris shepherded that vision and values team. And our vision, I'm going to read it to you. It's on our website, our lovely website with beautiful images. It says this, Our vision is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we might behold God and become more like him. And if you want to say it the short way, we say behold and become. We want to behold God and become more like him. Now, John's uh, gospel passage tonight is a perfectly divided behold and become. So it's kind of a ready-made sermon, but I want to dive in deep into it, and I want to invite you to think about the process of beholding God and becoming more like him. But a couple of things first. Hidden in this process of beholding and becoming are two other words that also start with the same letter, but not the same letter as behold and become, and those words are repentance and receive, or repent and receive. Implicit in this rhythm, this dynamic process of beholding God and becoming more like him, we are going to be invited to repent, to turn away from something and turn towards whom? God. And in that process, we are invited to receive. We read John the Baptist proclaimed that he baptized with water But Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, this means a couple of things. First of all, John is saying, this Jesus, this Lamb of God, is qualitatively different from me. Not only that he comes after me, but he precedes me because he's greater than me. Not only did the one who sent me to baptize, and who was that? That wasn't some rando on the corner in Jerusalem. That was God the Father. The Father sends John to baptize in the wilderness, and the Father tells John, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that's the Son of God, that's the Lamb of God. But this Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, meaning he pours out God's very self on his people. Now, that can be a baptism. We remember, every time we have baptism, we know that water does a couple of things. Water can destroy Think about a flood. It can wipe out a, t- a whole terrain. It can drown and ruin. It can destroy. But water can also give life. It can bring new life. It can open the way. Water can be crossed. We think of the children of Israel crossing through the Red Sea and how St. Paul later in 1 Corinthians says, you were baptized The people of Israel, excuse me, were baptized into Moses when they crossed through the Red Sea. They never touched the water. So whenever we get into arguments about how much water should be used in baptism, they were baptized into Moses and never even touched the water. It's good. But he says they were baptized into Moses. So water can destroy, but water can also give life. And that's the same for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That if we believe and receive him, the Son of God, we we will be baptized by the Holy Spirit unto life. For ministry, for mission, for comfort, for what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, for spiritual gifts. But if we do not believe 
That baptism is not unto life, but rather unto death and judgment. So we want to be in the position of those who believe. And that's why God put St. Bart's here, to connect with the people of East Dallas, so that together with them, we may all behold God and become more like him. So first, let's look at Jesus' identity as proclaimed by John the Baptist. The first thing that John the Baptist says is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says it twice, verse 29 and verse 36. And John has his own disciples around him. John has his own following. And if you are in the position of having followers or maybe, you know, on social media, or you're in the sort of business where you have to cultivate new business or do anything like that, John the Baptist is doing, like, the wrong thing. He's doing the thing that you shouldn't do unless you're in this business, which is to draw attention to Jesus, to help people see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so John does what is counterintuitive, and he draws attention to Jesus. And what is the first word he says? It's convenient. Behold. Look upon him. See him. Gaze upon him. He is the Lamb of God. And we know what the Lamb of God does. And John clarifies, who takes away the sins of the world. We know, as in Matthew's origin story for Jesus, that Jesus is the son of Joseph, the son of David, who would be the Messiah, who would take away the sins of his people. And John says it in his own way. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, Exodus clarifies how the Lamb of God does that. It's not just because the Lamb of God is a really great, wise teacher. There's an actual sacrifice. There's, there's bloodletting that he willingly offers himself in the Father's will for the sins of and for the sake of the world. He gives himself unto death that life, ultimate life, life from above, John would say later, could come to you and to I and to all of creation. You see, when the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, he doesn't just take away the bad things that we've done. He takes away literally the curse that it's across all of creation so that one day when this lamb who was slain comes again in great glory and triumph to judge you and me and all the world, when he comes again, all things will be made new. All things will be totally transformed, beautifully, powerfully. Everything that we've suffered, every devastation, those things that still we cannot comprehend and we grieve, there will be vindication. There will be righteousness. There will be transformation. And so our beholding and becoming isn't just something that we tell ourselves so that we can get through this life or uh, smack something up on our website or say, hey, what a great place this is. No, this is actually a way to live, a way to be a pilgrim people following Jesus because I have no other hope but you, O oh God. So I'm going to look to you, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John also gives us a hint about Jesus' identity. He says in verse 32, he bears witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, 
and it remained on him. <coughs> what is John telling us about Jesus? This is more than just a dude. This is more than a carpenter who seems very eloquent in speech and very wise in teaching. And isn't it cool how he uses the Socratic method? He is more than that. The Spirit descends on him. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned that. And finally, John takes away any doubt about what he's trying to say. Verse 34, And I have seen and borne witness that he is the Son of God. So notice, what is at play in this first half of our gospel lesson tonight? Who is, who, who is in this besides John and his couple of disciples? The Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Father, he who sent me into the wilderness to baptize so that he could be revealed to Israel. Son, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend, he's the Son. And Spirit, the Holy Trinity. This is the life that we're invited into. This is what we're invited to behold. We're invited to become partakers of this same divine nature. This guy, Simon Peter, would later write to the churches scattered across Asia Minor. The Holy Trinity is present, testifying that Jesus is the Son of God, inviting all of creation into fellowship with him. So we see Jesus' identity. We see what we're invited to behold, this Lamb of God who's the Son of God on whom the Spirit descends. It's the whole Trinity working together, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us new life day after day after day. But secondly, we see Jesus' first disciples, and we see what we're invited to become as we behold Jesus, this Lamb of God. Notice first, we've got Andrew and an unnamed disciple. This is probably John, because John was far too modest to say that it was him. But it was Andrew and most likely John. And look at the first thing, verse 37. They're with their, they're with their rabbi, John the Baptist. And again, he says, behold the Lamb of God, verse 37. The two disciples heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. So they hear this. And they see him and they follow him. They behold him and something changes in their behavior. Remember we talked about repentance? It's that Greek word metanoia. It's you're going one way, you're doing one thing, you're with this crazy guy John, and it's not that John's the devil, but I'm going to turn and follow Jesus. Something has changed about my behavior. Something has changed fundamentally about who I am as a person because I'm following this rabbi, this man, Jesus. And notice the brilliance of Jesus. He's not like, hey, what's your name? Because that's what I would say. Hi, I'll be your friend. What does Jesus say? What are you seeking? Not where are you going or who do you think you are or anything like that, but what are you seeking? What is it that you're looking for, Andrew and John? Are you looking for life? What is it? And so Jesus get, ushers this invitation that invites them to contemplate. It invites them to reflect. It invites them really to, to weigh their values. Now next week we're going to get this through Matthew's eyes, 
on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But tonight, we have it through John. And John was a mystic. John was the closest friend of Jesus. And he beheld the Lord Jesus Christ. He beheld God Almighty. He's the same one on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day saw the Alpha and the Omega. John's imagination is is thunderous and is amazing. And Jesus says to Andrew and John, what are you seeking? So in our beholding and becoming, God is always inviting us, isn't he? He's constantly inviting us as we come across a roadblock. What are you looking for? Or what are you, this is what he asks me a lot, a moment of vulnerability. What are you so afraid of? What's the worst that could happen? What are you seeking? And all the time in our dynamic process of beholding, becoming, it's, and it's dynamic because we're never the same, are we? We have different experiences. We have different encounters. We know God better. We're further away from him, perhaps, we feel. It's never the same as we behold and become. And in that dynamic process, where he's always inviting us. What are you seeking? That could be an opportunity to repent. Yeah, I don't know why I'm afraid. I just am, and I'm sick of it. I don't have the answer, God. Whatever it is for you. And notice how they answer. Now, this reminds me of me. Verse 38, they fumble. Can I tell a quick story? When I was trying to express, and I'm sure I've told this story before, but I'm going to say it again. When I was trying to express my newfound adoration for this young girl, Amy Dietz, we were at a worship service in which I was in the band, you know, helping lead. Totally cool. Bringing Hawaiian shirts back into play in the mid-90s. Yes, I was. And I was trying to communicate to her and and I just, and the kids love this story. And I said, oh, yeah, uh, Amy, yeah, uh, gosh, I just, just really like your hair. <laughs> it is funny. How? How are we, how did this work? <laughs> 18 years, huh? Praise God. But notice what Andrew and John say. Uh, Jesus says, what are you seeking? And they reply, Rabbi, where are you staying? Uh, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Where are you staying? We can't answer your question directly, but we're excited you talked to us, so where are you staying? It's funny and it's humorous, but it also belies the sort of depth that they're really searching. That they're answering his question, what are you seeking, with an intentional and diligent response of, well, where are you staying? Because wherever you are, we want to be there. Remember, they're beholding and becoming. They've beheld the Lamb of God, and something is changing in them, even in their fumbling around with words. We're always in process. And so Jesus invites again, come, and you'll see. If you ever feel like you can't talk to God, or if you ever feel cut off from him, or if you ever feel, oh, no, I just can't do it, You need to know that the Holy Trinity, the creator of everything that you see and don't see, of the entire cosmos, of galaxies that we have not even discovered yet, that God is saying, come. 
come and see. Come and behold. Come to me. Jesus says it another way. Come you, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's repentance in our process of beholding and becoming, and there is receiving. And a lot of times we just need to receive rest. Sometimes that means actual sleep, but sometimes it just means our minds having the relief of trusting God. And he says, what are you so afraid of? And he realized, you know what? I don't know. And there's rest. He's always issuing that invitation, the Holy Trinity, to be deeper and deeper in fellowship with him. So they behold, all of a sudden they're talking to this rabbi, and you got to know, so John the Baptist was their rabbi, and so they're kind of like double-crossing their rabbi, but they know they have John's blessing because he who comes after me is really before me and greater than me, and so they know that John wants them to go. And then what happens? Look at verses 40 and 41. One of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew, the first thing that he does as he's discovering this new rabbi, Jesus, is he goes and he finds his brother. So they become the inviters. They become the ones that are saying, no, 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 come and see. And you're going to see later, if you, if you look in the rest of John chapter 1, they also invite Philip, and Philip finds Nathaniel, who's also called Bartholomew. It's our church. And there's this constant impetus where people see, so look at the cross, people see Jesus with his outstretched arms on the hardwood of the cross, and they go to him, and they realize, wait a minute, this is life from above. This is truth. This is reality. Hey, come. Come with me and see. Let's go to him. He's the creator of the world. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Just come. Come and see. Friends, I often think of St. Bart's as an old tree, even though we've been around four years. But the, and it's kind of a joke with the staff and the vestry that they're like, well, what do you say? Well, old tree. I always see old tree. But I see this big, be- just think of a big, beautiful live oak like one of these ones out here or anywhere you'd find around in the neighborhood. And, and God has planted us here, not because we had any great ideas, but because he wanted a place where people would behold him and say, hey, come. Come and see. It's not perfect. People aren't perfect. They don't have the market cornered. But, but they want to gather around the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they want to tell people that your sins can be taken away. And so Andrew invites his brother. And so does this John, this unnamed one. And notice what happens then. In this process... Jesus names. So think about your process of beholding and becoming and repenting and receiving. In a crucial moment, this brand new disciple comes up to Jesus. And Jesus knows who he is. Look at verse 42. And Andrew brought, up, brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, So you are Simon, 
son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means stone or rock. Jesus never met this man before in his life. But Simon is created in God's image. Jesus knows Simon, even though he's never met him. And he knows that he's going to betray him three times. And he knows that he's going to say stupid stuff a lot. He knows that he's going to say, get behind me, Satan. He knows that he's going to say the exact same thing. Simon, son of John, or Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus knows all that. But he simply says, you are Peter. What is God telling you? In your process of beholding and becoming. See, Jesus told Peter what he was becoming. But it was going to take about a million steps to get there. And the grace of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit. We may not know. God may show us. We may have hints and whispers and echoes and visions of of what we are to become. (coughs) Excuse me. But only by God's grace will we get there. But we have to know how he has named us. And sometimes we got to hold on to that name, don't we? Because can you imagine that Satan came to tempt Peter? Remember what Jesus told him on the night when he celebrated that last Passover? Satan, or Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. We have to hold on to what God has told us in our process of beholding and becoming, in our process of repenting and receiving. And so tonight I finished this, people who behold and become. Where are you in that process? There, there's not like a place you have to be. I'm not telling you there's something you have to do to be right. But just think about it for a minute. Where are you? Are you beholding something else? I don't know. Are you beholding yourself? Or I don't know what it is. And what are you becoming? You see, God made us in his image, period. All people are made in the image of God. And that's why all people are worth, are invaluable. There's nothing inside time and space that can change the value of any human being, period. Full stop. End of conversation. And yet, we're invited to be transformed in the image of like, and likeness of Christ the Lamb of God. So where are you in this process? Yes, you are made in the image of God, but as you're beholding him, how is he transforming you? How are you repenting? And what are you repenting of? And how are you receiving? Are you making room in your life to receive? I love to eat three, four, five, heck, six or seven meals a day. How are you feeding yourself? Every Sunday we come here to be fed at Jesus' table by the Lamb himself, his body, his blood to sustain us. But, but you need to eat more than once a week. I'm not saying you have to have communion more than once a week, but you need, to, you need to eat the bread of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You need to drink deeply from the waters of the Holy Spirit. 
in prayer, in community. Where are you in your process of beholding and becoming? And where are you in your process of repenting and receiving? Let's take just a minute now. I want to give you an opportunity to, to repent and receive. And again, if you want to kneel, you may. You want to stay seated, you may. And I don't know, but when I got here today, I immediately came in the church and just said the great litany, which is a, it's a, it's a penitent prayer. It's a prayer of begging for God's help. And I walked through the church, and I just felt repentance is something that we need to do tonight. So I'm going to kneel. If you want to kneel, you may. So take a moment to repent and then remain kneeling and I'm just going to pray over you to receive. So first, let's repent together. Jesus Christ, Son of God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. Lord, forgive us for limiting you, for not believing you. Hmm. For quenching your the fire of your spirit. now, Lord, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, that journey with me, that we would receive afresh and anew of you, of your Holy Spirit, that we would drink deeply and draw deeply from the water of the wells of salvation. that we would breathe deeply of the breath of life. And that your holy fire would burn away all that is chaff. And that you, Lord Jesus, vine dresser, would cut away all that is not life and prune us. So that we could abide. Lord, we pray, fill us and fill our hands that we could be with you and then that we could walk and do with and for you to fulfill those good works that you prepared beforehand for us to walk in as your workmanship. We love you, God. We cannot imagine the depth of your love and mercy for us, but we say yes to it tonight and tomorrow and for the rest of our days. Through Jesus, our Lord, to you, O Father, in the life-giving power of the Spirit. Amen.